When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. It's also important to note that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs and theirs alone. Not everyone will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So please try and keep that in mind. Today's podcast is my guest's version of events, and there'll always be others who see it differently. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself. But thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. She had this knack of, if she told you the sky was red and you go, no, 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 it's blue. She would convince you to the point where you go, why don't you go outside and double check that? It's hard to understand or even contemplate that life could be any different than the life that we know and we grew up in. I never thought there were people who didn't have a house to live in, who didn't have a warm bed, who didn't have a dad, who would work five days a week and Saturday mornings and was home every night for dinner, which was always on the table, 6.30 on the dot. The only thing I worried about as a kid was getting my new dress dirty after mum had told us not to play in the half-finished house down the road or if mum had overcooked the peas as I remember Dad would complain if they weren't just right. It doesn't paint a good picture of my dad, but it was one of his few faults. Well, and the fact that he couldn't get his homemade beer recipe right, uh, which was of great frustration to him. But Mum was always there, before school and after school, 
and she was home from her part-time job every single day for us. Just normal everyday stuff, or so I thought. My guest today couldn't have had a more different life. Her mum and dad's relationship was volatile. They argued and there was violence. And it was initiated by her mother, yes, her mum, every single time. And it came to light years later that her mum was actually a thief. Her mum stole money and deceived people. And for that, she spent a lot of time in and out of jail for her crimes. Elisa, my guest, remembers her parents separating when she was only little and with her mum moving constantly between states, staying anywhere they could, on friends' couches, in motels, refuges and sometimes in their car. Elisa remembers receiving presents from the Selvos one Christmas and being left to her own devices much of the time, not knowing where her mum was or who she was with. She was cared for by her paternal and maternal aunts, and in between living with them, she was in foster care. Unlike our friend Scott from a couple of episodes ago and too many others, Elisa has fond memories of her foster parents, who she remains in contact with to this day, unlike her mum, who just abandoned her. Thanks for your time today, Elisa, and um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, but that's actually a lie. I know you're not good. (laughs) (laughs) I know from some previous conversation we had this morning that you've been out, (laughs) you've been having fun, and you're a little bit dusty. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's fact. That is indeed fact. when When are we going to learn? Look, I don't think there's much hope for me at this point. I'm nearly 35 and I have not learnt yet. So we'll just see how we go. Ah, that's funny. Well, yeah, we'll keep your water levels up and this should take about an hour and then you can go and lay your head on that pillow. Um, So let's get on with today. Um, So when we spoke to Organise Today, I remember listening to you telling me um, what you were going to say and thinking that it being unimaginable for me and a lot of others out there that are listening to feel abandoned as a child. Can you tell me what it felt like for you? Um, well, um, it's you're not meant to. You're not meant to feel abandoned by either of your parents. I mean, they're the ones that brought you into this world they're meant to protect you and they're meant to always be there. So to feel as if you're just a waste of time, it's something that you just cannot put into words. For a very long time, it was always why, why, why did you do this? Why me? What did I do wrong? Um, You know, there were always unanswered questions, but you know, and it took a very, very long time and a lot of growth to realise that it actually had nothing to do with me. It was not about me. And then a lot of work with my dad from his side that it was never abandonment from him. So 
Um, yeah, it's very difficult to put into words, really. But my dad and I are good. Very good. My anger with my dad did not last very long, to be honest. Um, I'm a daddy's girl, a bit of a pushover. Can't be mad at him. Um, but when I went into foster care, I was very angry because, I mean, I was only 10, memory at the time. And I just, you know, I was too young to understand the adult world and, you know, the whys and hows and all the rest of it. Um, and to me at the time, it was, oh, you can't be bothered, just like mum, can't be bothered with me, too hard basket, when it was really the complete opposite. But he made a lot of effort to make sure that um, he was always around in some way, shape or form, um, always on the other end of the phone if I needed him. Um, you know, I, I knew where he worked down the road from my school. So if anything was ever wrong, there was always somewhere to run. Um, but, you know, as the years progressed, it was a cruel-to-be-kind exercise, I think. It was I needed to know that you were going to be looked after and I needed to be able to provide in the best way that I could. And, you know, he worked shift work and he couldn't leave me on my own overnight while he's working two night shifts in a row. Um, that just wasn't okay and it was never going to be okay. So, um, I mean, now now we talk about it and I'm so grateful for what he did because it really was putting me first. So, yeah, we're good. We talk all the time. That's good. You, you said before that you felt when you were little that um, you were a waste of time um, and you said that you was you used to think, what's wrong with me? At what age did you think like that? Um, I think it would have been probably nine or ten when, you know, my mum actually left the picture really because you know if you even at that age and I knew that things weren't right with her I thought well there's clearly some issues here why can't you just be different why can't you just be better should I not be enough motivation for that and it just wasn't um you know everything else was a priority she couldn't just be happy with the things that she had always had to be more um and, you know, she's sick. She's a sick woman. Um, and I can't change that. And I don't think she can either. When you say your mum was a sick woman, what do you mean by sick? Mentally, mentally ill. There was a lot of things um, happening with her. She was a compulsive liar to the highest degree. Um there's the belief, I mean, everybody seems to have a different story in the whole scenario. So there's a belief that there's multiple personality disorder, mild schizophrenia, um, God knows what else. Um, she's just always been troubled, always. You had quite a few involvements with police when, when you were young. 
can you tell me about that? So my police involvement obviously was regarding her and things that were going on with my parents and she she would instigate an argument and it would be dad's fault. You know, it's always dad's fault. Um, there was intervention orders and all sorts of stuff from, you know, mum against dad and you know, the poor bugger hadn't actually done anything to deserve it. But it was very much, you know, when it comes to domestic violence and intervention orders and things like that, um, it's always the man, you know. It's almost inconceivable to think that a woman could be at fault. So it was all about sort of, oh, you know, woe is me, protecting me, my husband, this, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's it's long been um, always a predominantly male thing that it's the – perpetrator of domestic violence or violence in general um and oh that woman she was so manipulative she would I mean if she had this knack of if she told you the sky was red and you go no 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 it's blue she would convince you to the point where you go shit let me go outside and double check that (laughs) and she I'm not even joking. Yeah. It's like she makes – she's the crazy one, yet she makes you feel like you are just crackers and um, oh, she's just – I can't even put words into it. I Yeah. Um, so there was one particular incident when um, I was with my dad and she came to pick me up and – there was just an argument and I don't even know what it was about, but I do know that a fly screen got broken and then the police showed up and the police officer at the time was quite abrupt. Mind you, I'm only a child, maybe seven, six, seven, eight, I don't know. Anyway, I was young and um, he was, you know, I didn't want to go with her. I wanted to stay with my dad and I was told in no uncertain terms, you either get in the car with your mother and leave now or I will take you to the police station or something along those lines. And I just thought, that guy's my dad and she is losing her tiny mind. Like you can see that she was just fired up and argumentative and yet somehow you're trying to convince me to that she's the better option. Like, why can't I just stay with my dad? Why can't you tell her to go home? But in the car I went and um, I was just really angry about it because I just thought, hang on, that's my dad and I want to see him and that's my mum and I should be able to see her too. And um, I don't know, it was very confusing. And that was probably the first of many times that's interesting you say that because um, I've got a, um, a friend who was um, my boss when I was working with in domestic violence and child abuse and she says that 
often when you used to go to a domestic violence incident, or this is way back, you know, in these the days that you're talking about, the kids weren't even considered. It wasn't a consideration to go and speak to the child and say to the child, who do you want to go with and why or who don't you want to go with and why and just speak to the child about what was wrong, what frightened you, what made you feel good. It, it, It wasn't even a consideration, which is wrong, isn't it? It really is because the kids are the one that are stuck in the middle and kids are very honest. They're very innocently honest. Um, some of the things that my kids come out with, I just think, I can't take you in public. That's disgraceful. <laughs> you are so brutally honest and people will get offended. <laughs> I mean, so I look at it very differently now and I just shake my head sometimes and think, Jesus, I made that. What did I do? <laughs> um, <laughs> why, why, do, why do the police social workers, etc., not sit with a child and say, what happened? What's what's your side of things? What did you see? How can we help you? What will make you feel safer? Um, and it, it was not about that. It was absolutely not about it. It was mum and dad are fighting and mum's winning the fight. That's really what it came down to. And it was all about her manipulation and it was just, I, I just don't understand it. I'll, I'll never understand it. I think police are changing and I think now um, that their feelings, their emotions, their thoughts are actually being considered. I'm not saying a lot, but it's certainly changing because I think I've said before, and I don't know if you were uh, you were brought up like this, but when we were kids, uh, the saying was that children are to be seen and not heard. And not heard, yes. You didn't contribute to a conversation because you could only contribute when you were asked. And um, I'm not saying that was like it when I was at home, but that is the that was how it was. It was, but I hope now that that it is changing. Well, I know it is, and that children are being spoken to and they are being asked. And from what you're saying is that when you were a child, if somebody would have asked you, um, tell me what you're scared of or whatever, you would have told them. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And I never once had a fear of my father, never once. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do the wrong thing because <laughs> my dad has an angry face and that's scary enough. But, um, <laughs> you know, I knew when I'd, I'd get in trouble and I'd be like, oh, how do I get him on my good side again? Um, but, yeah, I was never in fear of him. I never feared for my life, never feared for my safety. Um, I have always, every day of my life, felt safe and protected with him but mum it was there was a question mark tell me about the time on the bus so we had moved to Queensland and my mother and I and her partner at the time who had no no knowledge of her previous indiscretions um 
And anyway, so I didn't want to live in Queensland. I actually wanted to be back in Wodonga with my dad and because, um, you know, I'd gone to school there and I had friends there and it was familiar. Um, so in Queensland, not wanting to be, um, I didn't like the school. I'd do anything to get out of it, actually. Um, and things obviously turned pear-shaped because, you know, mum was up to her old tricks again. And um, so we had to leave. So mum said, oh, you know, we're moving back to Melbourne. I was well, back to Wodonga, but we're going to Melbourne and we're going to stay with some family. And I thought, oh, this is excellent. Can't wait. Uh, we're catching the bus. And I thought, oh, God, you know, it's a long trip even for an adult. But as a kid, you go, God, that's going to take like 10 years to get there. And I was not keen on that. Um, anyway, I'm positive it was in Brisbane at the bus terminal. So we got on our, got on the bus, put all of our luggage away, find our seats, sit down. Thought surely we should be leaving soon. And I kept saying to Mum, "Are we going soon?" She said, "Yes, yes, we're going soon." Anyway, it didn't move. And then you know we saw people coming up to the bus, and my thought was, "Oh, there's people still getting on." And these two men walked up and they, I wouldn't say suits, but um, they were dressed up-ish. And they're walking towards us and I thought, nothing of it really. And then they stopped with us and, um, you know, asked mum her name and she said yes. And in the middle of the bus, you're under arrest. And I had no idea what was going on. So I, I didn't understand. And they're like, you have to get off the bus now. So, you know, everybody just, a bus full of people just watched my mother get arrested and me following and getting put into a police car. Oh so, yeah. And I had no idea what was going on. Anyway, we go to the police station. She's interviewed um, and then she was bailed and we had to stay in a refuge. I can't remember how long it was, but she was bailed, had to stay at this women's refuge until her court hearing. Um, And then so it's just me and her and she has to go to court and I just had to sit in the waiting room of the court while she's in in the courtroom before the judge, charges read. Um, And obviously she was let go, but I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of that part. Um, All I know is we were free to go. Um, So off to Melbourne we go and we end up at a motel and then having to walk I don't know. I don't know if you know the area, but um, Ringwood to Croydon in the pouring rain, and you know my tiny little legs. It was just hell. And then I don't know. My mom and my auntie had this big blue, and my auntie was like, "You cannot seriously be walking around at this time of night with your daughter in the rain. It's disgraceful." Bloody bloody blah. blah, blah. So we end up at her house and, you know, 
the other aunties get involved and it's a big family affair and then all of a sudden my dad's in the driveway and that was super exciting. Um, and I don't know, we ended up, I don't even know what happened. I think I went and stayed with dad and my grandparents for a few days or whatever and then I ended up back with her and living in a commission house, I think, in Belt East. It was just constant moving around. There was no stability whatsoever. Elisa, can I ask, what what was your mum arrested for? There's a couple of things. Number one is, what was your mum arrested for on the bus? And you said two things there. You said she had some previous indiscretions and that mum was up to her old tricks. Uh, her... Um her crime of choice was fraud and theft by deception. Mm-hmm. So um, bouncing checks, you know, back in the days when checkbooks were a big thing, um, oh, she could pay for it with check, believe me, she did. So she would basically write a lifestyle for herself and live on it until she was caught out. Yeah, it was you know, everything that we had was basically paid for by check. Uh, it's been family joke with my dad and I now. Um, you know, you want to win lotto, why not? Why bother? Just ring your mother, bounce some checks. I mean, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So now you just got to make a big joke of it. But um, that's what she did. She just ripped people off. Um And it was going on, obviously, for quite some time longer than I ever imagined. I don't know when it started. I don't know how much of my very, very younger years were, you know, fraudulent, I suppose. And I don't really care, to be honest. But the fact of the matter is, for me, it happened. And um, and you could ask her, but you'll never get an honest answer. She doesn't have an honest bone in her body, couldn't lie straight in bed. So... With all these involvements that you had with police as a child, what were your thoughts about police? Were they good? Were they bad? Were they a bit of both? It's funny because you would assume that I would be very anti-police and I have no idea how I managed to separate the two, but I would... I never looked at the police force as bad, but I did look at the police officers in certain situations as mean and grumpy. But I never, I never was anti-police. I never thought it was the police force's fault. I never acted out against them. Um, I really, I, I don't know how a kid of that age can be objective, but somehow I was. Um, so if if a police officer was grumpy and whatever towards me, um, I was grumpy with them. But if they were nice to me, they were my best friend. So, and I am um, very pro-police, very pro-police. Yeah, which is surprising, as you say, because... The fact that you've seen them arrest your mum, uh, you've been waiting in courts, waiting for your mum, like just being surrounded by police, I'm surprised that you don't yeah. look on police as being a sort of like the, the bad guys. Um, 
Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it may be an obvious answer to some, uh, but never having experienced what you have, I'll ask it. I'll ask it. Mm-hmm. Um, what effect did that abandonment um, have on you as got you got older? And the reason, well, there's two points to that. One is um, when, as you got older, like into your teen years, how did that abandonment affect you? But also, when your kids got to the age when you were, you know, um, traipsing around with your mum around the uh, the states. Um, did that all come back then? Absolutely. Like, did you think, my God, how could you abandon a child of this age? Yeah, really, really badly, but I internalised it. So um, it was something that just plays on my mind. Even now it, it plays on my mind an awful lot every time I open my mouth to these kids. Um but I know that I'm very different. So I don't look at myself as a product of her and, oh, what if I do the same thing she did? Because I know I won't. But parenting at these ages, I do struggle with because I don't know how to do it. I don't – it's hard to explain. I Am I doing the right thing? I don't know what it was like, how, yeah, I just, I don't know how to do it. And I always wonder, am I doing this, am I doing the right thing? But I figured, I tell myself all the time when those questions pop up, are they fed? Yes or no. Why are they not fed? Because they don't want to eat what I cook them and that's tough luck because I'm not cooking 30 meals a day. Um, So (laughs) then I quickly say, that's okay. There's food on offer. And if they go hungry, that's not my problem. Um, But they're okay. They've got a house. They're loved and they know that they are. But growing up as a teenager with all of that, um, I was a very angry teenager, very angry but also very, um, I suppose you'd say, needy. I was very emotionally attached to the people in my world and so scared that everybody I got attached to would walk away. And it was very, very difficult and it did create a lot of issues. Um, But I'm very grateful that there was was a few people from those years that I talk to now that I'm still incredibly close to who just knew and just got it. I don't know how, but they just got it and they stuck around. So I'm very lucky. Um, I drank a lot as a teenager. That probably didn't help, but I thought it did. (laughs) Well, I suppose it was, um, and I'm not condoning it for one minute, but it was um, your way of coping with all those emotions, with that abandonment. Um, And, you know, just going back when you were talking about um, you struggle sometimes um, parenting your children now, um, and I've got to say that I think most parents would think very similarly that, um, and they haven't, a lot of them haven't been through what you've been through. So those feelings I imagine that you've got um, are 
a, a double what um, a parent who hasn't been through what you have been through. Uh, they, they, um, I think most parents that I'm aware of or that I know, they say the same thing. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, there's yeah. no, there's no book. There's no rules. Oh, uh, no, there's none. <laughs> no, but what I think you've always got to remember is that uh, you're doing your best to what you can, but you said a very important thing there and I think that's something worth hanging on to is you said that um, your kids are always fed. They're, they know yeah. they're loved. They know that um, they have a warm home. They know they've got a bed and that's the sort of thing that you never had. So, um, yeah, I, I can understand you feeling, I suppose the word is inadequate. You probably at times you're saying you feel an inadequate. That is the best way to, and I haven't been able to, you know, put a word to it, but that's exactly it. That is exactly right. Yeah. Um, it's a struggle. So what do you remember most about living out of a suitcase with your mum in the motels and refuges or anywhere else you could find a bed for that matter? What, what? What do you remember most about that? I can't imagine it. So the, the one thing that really sticks out in my mind, we lived in a caravan park in Corowa, uh, which is in New South Wales, just outside of Albury. Um, and uh, Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I mean, it sounds terrible, really, it was, but I don't know. Um, you know, I made friends with some of the other kids that were in the caravan park, so that wasn't too bad. But um, again, hated the school because it wasn't my school, the one that I went to originally with all my all my friends. Um, and I still had a lot of my important things. There was so my mum had these little crystals, little figurines, and they were from her mum. And she got them after my nana died. 
Um, I had a crocheted baby blanket that my grandmother crocheted for me and I had this teddy that I'd had since I was born. They are gone because we had to leave the caravan park in such a hurry. They're gone. I don't have those anymore. You know, things that were my nana's, I'll never get back. Um, The blanket, I'll never get back. The teddy, I'll never get back. And they're little things, but at the same time, they're sentimental. And, you know, I don't have that stuff because life on the run was more important for her because she just couldn't get her shit together. Can you tell us about the time that you found out your mum had told her new husband that you were dead? Oh, my God. Worst, worst night. So life was quite normal. I was living with her sister, so my maternal auntie, and we were all just in the lounge room watching a movie. Um, I was living with my auntie, my uncle, and my two cousins, and um, you know, we were watching a movie and the phone rang and it's my dad and I, was, I had a chat to him and, as usual, all the normal stuff that we'd talk about. And he's like, all right, well, got to go. I'm at work. And he often rang me from work. So we said our goodbyes. That was fine. And then so we're all just minding our own business. Phone rings again. My auntie goes and she gets and she's in the kitchen. She's talking away. She comes into the lounge room and says, oh, Alicia, your dad's on the phone again. I thought, it's odd. I just spoke to you. But anyway, I thought, oh, something must be wrong. And I go in and I said, um, what's wrong? I just spoke to you. He said, um, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah. Why? What's wrong? He said, so I just had a very interesting phone call. And at the time I thought, that's, that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> Why does this matter to me? Like, I'm, I'm happy for you, Dad. I'm happy for you. Uh, I said, okay, what? He said, so your mother's husband has just called. And I'm like, oh, God. Okay. He said, um, so I don't know how this happened, but he's put two and two together and um, ended up working out who she was and I said, okay. Um, now, he's called, He's tracked me down somehow, found out where I worked and he's called me at work. I said, okay, why? Is there something wrong with her? And he said, well, we know that there is. <laughs> but, no, that's not the point of the conversation. I thought, okay, fair call. Um, he said, so he rang me to apologise for my loss. I said, what are you t- What loss? I mean, she wasn't a great loss. And he laughed and told me not to be mean to my mother. Um, she's still your mother. I said, okay. Um, he said, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but he was apologising for the loss of you. And I still, I still didn't get it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Elisa, she told him you were dead. And I said, what? He goes, he 
she told him that you were dead, that you and I, uh, that her and I lost you. You died when you were four or six or something. I can't remember. Um, apparently, you died when you were very young and a whole bunch of other crap. And I can't remember what the other crap was because I'm still trying to focus on the fact that my mother tells people I'm dead. And I'm like, what did you say? He said, oh, did she? Who was I talking to 10 minutes ago? <laughs> That's a bit creepy. But um, so they had a chat and he said, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, you're not the one that said it, so you have nothing to apologise for. And he said, but this is not the conversation that I ever wanted to have with you. And obviously my auntie knew because he told her first. And um, there was no reason Oh, hang on. No, there was. That's right. Because my dad said, well, if she's dead, how did she die? And apparently I died. I was a childhood asthmatic, just to put into context. Apparently I died from asthma and obesity. And I was like, wow, I'm a 14-year-old girl struggling with body image issues and apparently I'm dead from obesity. That's That's fantastic. So I got off the phone and my auntie just she just looked at me she's like I just don't even know what to say I'm just so sorry what would you say yeah I mean and I you know there's nothing that you can say there's nothing that fixes that nothing takes it away but after you fast forward a few years when I moved out and I was really angry and I always had her phone number with me and I don't know why I think it was just just in case but I ended up ringing her and we came to blows about it and she told me, so she was living in Beechworth at the time and she told me that a police officer from Beechworth advised her to tell people I was dead to make it easier on her to accept that she couldn't see me and I was absolutely horrified and still, still after that, I still didn't have a um, negative opinion of policing because I thought that's not right. And I later found out years down the track that I ended up in contact with Beechworth Police and I told the sergeant and he was ropeable. My officers would never, never instruct anybody to say that. No, no, I, no, you're right. Um, You'd also tried to ring your mum on your 16th birthday, didn't you? And that didn't. I did. And that didn't end up well either, did it? No. Well, my auntie actually sort of snuck. We were going out for dinner and my auntie snuck off to the bedroom to call her to tell her to call me for my birthday. You know, it's your daughter's 16th birthday, you know. Mm. Do the right thing. And anyway, she comes out of the bedroom and she said, look, Elise, I I just spoke to your mum. She doesn't want to talk to you. (gasps) And for some reason, I can't even remember the rest of it, but I ended up calling her and her husband answered and was just so disgusting and horrible to me. Like he was such a pig. Um, And then, oh, your mother doesn't want to talk to you. She's got a migraine and blah, blah, blah. She doesn't want to talk to you. And I thought, well, I don't, I said, I don't really care. 
It's my 16th birthday. She has nothing to do with me any other time. She can at least say happy birthday to me. It's not hard. Anyway, she gets on the phone and, you know, it's woe is me and, you know, I'm the bitch and she's the victim. You know, it's very typical stuff. And at 16, I just thought, Jesus, you are hard work. Like, you're so exhausting. And um, She called you a bitch. She called you a bitch. She called me a bitch. And I thought, nah. I just, I was just done trying. I was just done trying. Good, and you did try, Elisa, didn't you? Like you tried and tried. tried Very hard. Even as cruel and as... um, Diff- oh, Who forgives somebody after you know mm, they mm. say you're dead? Yeah, you, you, you did. Apparently, I mean, but you at least Jesus. you tried, you know. And then, as a seventeen-year-old, you said that you tried again to contact your mum. And what happened that time? Um, so I actually did speak to her a little bit, and um, you know, I was having boy troubles at the time. And her first advice to me, because, you know, I'm 17 years old having boy dramas, and instead of going, you know, Elisa, you're better than this, you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea, the typical crap that I tell my kids or someone else, it was telling me to start spreading rumours around about the new girlfriend, and I'm like, this is so counterproductive. Fine, I'll ring Dad. He'll be normal. And then... Um, you know, at a party one night, friends of mine had gotten hold of my phone, which wasn't, a, it was nothing unusual because everybody just grabbed each other's phones and we text each other and always funny stuff. And I heard a person, um, and they'll forever remain nameless, even though we don't speak, um, talking on my phone. And I thought, that's odd. But I just left it, thought nothing of it. Oh, God, like, Days, maybe a week later, I'm at the house and with my friends and at my best friend's house, and I get these phone calls from my auntie who I don't didn't get along with anymore at the time. She hated my guts and probably still does to this day, um, saying the police are after you. And I thought that's odd. I've done nothing wrong, and um, I said, okay, I'll deal with it. I go back to my grandmother's and because I was living with her at the time. And I walk in the door and she says to me, Elisa, the police came here looking for you. And I just looked at her like, I did nothing wrong. And she's like, I'm not angry at you. I'm just telling you. You've got to go down there. So I'm like, oh, God, fine. So I walk down to Hillsville Police Station. Hello, how are you? (laughs) You're looking for me? Um, And the police officer at the time, very tough, was yes and are you, you know, read out my full name and I'm like, God, nobody's called me that for years. <laughs> I must be in trouble. And then he said, uh, um, we need, we're serving an intervention order against you. And I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? And he said, do you know this person? And I just deadpanned him straight in the eyes. I said, is this a joke? And he goes, no, who's this? Do you know the person? I said, that's my mother. He goes, you're what? And another police officer had come out and goes, I'm sorry, what was that? And I said, yeah, my mother. And then he read through all the things that she thinks that I did wrong. Was this true? Was this true? And I said, no. I said, if it was, I'd tell you. 
I'm fine with that. And by this stage, I was furious. And um, I said, no, 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 that's not what happened. This is what happened. And he goes, look, I have to give this to you. I said, yeah, that's fine. You're just doing your job. That's fine. And he's reading out all the clauses in it. And I probably should have taken it more seriously, but he's like, you can't do this. You can do this. You can't go within 500 metres of her. And I'm like, well, she lives in Beechworth and I'm 17 and don't have a licence. I'm not sure how that's going to work. And he laughed and he said, good point. Um, And then he said, and um, if you have a gun licence, you've got to hand it in and you can't have a gun licence for X amount of time. And I was like... Oh, shit, I'd booked in for that. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And he just laughed and I'm like, this means, like, I take it seriously and I understand this is a job, but this means nothing to me. And he goes, he said, look, I probably shouldn't say this, but you can pretty much take that home and wipe your ass with it because really that's all that it means. And I said, well, I won't, but thank you. So I had to sign it and do all the formalities and, Anyway, that's when the Beechworth police officer got in contact with me who read my surname and went, oh, are you related to? And I said, yes, that's my dad. And he goes, oh, shit, how's he going? What's he doing? Where is he? How's the weather where you are? Are you looking after yourself? And <laughs> he actually went to court into bat for me. He said, I'm disgusted. I'm absolutely disgusted for you. It's hard to imagine that a mother – Oh, well, I just can't get my head around it. Number one is that, or what your mum's done, but what you say she's done, but also the fact that you're continually, well, not continually, but you're trying to make some contact with your mum. She's called you a bitch. She's taken out an intervention order. But the only thing I do have a problem there with is when the policeman said to you, you said, what am I going to do with this, with the intervention order? And he said, you can, um, pardon me, (laughs) wipe your ass with it um, because that's all it's worth. I have to disagree with him there because I know a lot of people feel that and they say it's only a piece of paper. But that piece of paper actually gives police a power of arrest. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people say that and, it is, a, it is only a piece of paper, but that piece of paper is very powerful in a lot of ways and I I don't like that attitude that uh, it's only a piece of paper because it isn't. It actually, it, it, it can bring people to court and have them have to answer as to why they have breached a certain condition of an interne- intervention order. If you didn't have that intervention order, you, you don't have that power to get somebody to court and to have to answer to a magistrate and maybe even go inside for breaching intervention orders. Which, you know, brings me, I agree with everything that you said and I think the attitude at the time, I mean, I know why he said it because yeah, he could yeah. see that I was being genuine. Yep. Um, but that attitude too, I agree with. But a lot of people in society have that attitude. It's just a piece of paper and it'll do nothing because so often you see, you know, people have DVOs, they have interventionals, they have all of these things and you're not dead yet. So unfortunately we can't act on it. And mm. Mm. It's yeah, it's very hard. Um, it's very hard for people to go and do these things because they go, "Why? It's just a piece of paper. Nobody's going to help me anyway." I mean, 
that helped me too, getting that intervention on it because it protected me as well. Mm, mm. And it was what I needed. But it also um, alerts the situation to the police database because if nobody applied for any intervention orders, we wouldn't know. We, I can't help but think we. It's been how many years now? <laughs> Six I years or something. <laughs> you, yeah. you, can, you can take the girl out of the force, but you can never take the force out of the girl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, at least... Um, going uh, applying for an intervention order, either party, at least yeah. it's on the police records that there is an issue. There's a problem, yeah, exactly. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Elisa, with all these uh, issues that you've had in your life, how how have you managed to work your way through all this trauma and sadness and feelings of abandonment? To where you are today, how have you got to today? An absolute phenomenal amount of counselling. I've had counsellors, um, social workers, welfare coordinators at schools, psychologists, child psychiatrists, um, you name it, I've had it. And it's just as well having the right people around me. I mean, now um, I have the best, the best group of people around me. Um, And I think that really does help. And now, like I I remember um, at school I had a girl who told me she couldn't be friends with me because my mum had been in jail. Um, That really pissed me off. Um, But now... I, I'm an open book. Like I'll talk to anybody about it. I don't care. It doesn't it doesn't make me cry anymore. Um, but having all the people around me that I do have who understand it, who know my story, and will remind me in my worst moments, you are not her. You are not like her. She's not going to upset you. She's not going to hurt you. Um, I mean, I have. I haven't come out unscathed. I do have anxiety, depression, PTSD. Um, I have all those fun things, but I deal. I just deal with it. I get up every day and think, well, I have to do this. I have to keep going. I think one of the main lessons that we can all take out of what you've just said and uh, yes, um, having suffered PTSD myself, I know exactly what you mean. But what we can take out of that is that you've had professional intervention, whether it be a yep. little or a lot. Professional intervention is the is the way to um, at least try and manage or to um, get ahead. Um, uh, with your or get on with your life and not um, be full of negativity, which which you would be justified in feeling, mind you. But I think the fact that you're saying you wear your heart on your sleeve, you uh, share your vulnerability. I do. I'm such a sook. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, but also the fact that you uh, share your vulnerabilities and you have surrounded yourself clearly by really supportive strong, positive people because I've always said that surrounding yourself by negativity is like a cancer. 
It is. So and it and it eats away at you. So what you've been able to do is turn yourself around to look on the positive side because you have been able to do that through professional intervention. And I think that's one of the main uh, uh, messages that I want to get out there or you and I want to get out there is that you often, you can't do everything on your own. You need some professional intervention and there is nothing wrong with getting professional intervention and putting your hand up to say, I am I am not coping because if you didn't get professional intervention Elisa I'd I hate to think where you, where you'd be you'd probably be very bitter and very twisted and you wouldn't if, be where you are now to be honest mm. to be honest 100% honest with you if I if my auntie my paternal auntie did not stop me from going or my mum from picking me up the day that she did I have no doubt in my mind I would either be dead or a massive drug addict because that is the path that she was walking down and the people that she was associating with. So I have no doubt in my mind. And so out of everyone in my entire situation, that woman, um, my auntie, she, she's it. she did this. She is the reason that my life has turned out the way that it has because she put a stop to it. She wouldn't allow it. And I can't thank her enough. Like every time I see her, I love her. I just I just love that woman to death. And I tell her all the time whenever I can that I love her. Um, and we're close and it's my dad's side of the family and I are very, very close. So, But as far as professional intervention is concerned, I, I – I hate the stigma that surrounds mm. um, mental health and don't we, getting don't help. We all. And yep, yeah, yep. I mean it's it's exhausting. And why carry it if you don't have to? But a lot of people too, they go, "Oh, I went to a counsellor once, and you know, I didn't, I did, just didn't work for me." Because yep. you haven't found the right one. It <laughs> is like a pair of shoes. You have to find the one that fits. Absolutely. That is so true. So we, everybody has a personality and, and you just have to find one that gels with you. And once you do, it is so, um, it's natural, it's organic, it just all comes out and that person just knows, picks up on you and knows exactly what you need and it helps. Every couple of years I find a new psychologist yeah, I, I find a psychologist, not necessarily a new one, but I'll be good for a few years and then I feel myself getting into a slump and I call my doctor and I book a, ment- a long appointment um, for a mental health care plan and I go in and I see her and she's like, what's wrong? And I say to her, um, I've lost my mind, I'm a bit of a basket case, <laughs> yeah. another referral, and she laughs and she says, Of course you can. So we go through the questionnaire that you have to do and um, she'll be like, this isn't okay. Absolutely. Here's your care plan. You know what you need to do. And then I go and have my 10 sessions and I'm great for a few years or what? it might be a year, it might be six months, whatever. It might be five years. And um, I just stay on top of it. You know what that's called, Elisa? What that is called 
is maintenance and why is it that we can go back to, I don't know, Weight Watchers or all these different things for maintenance, but what is it about mental health that we feel like we're ashamed, we don't want to admit it, that we are actually um, you know, going to the doctor and just uh, getting a top up. Yeah, I don't. It's just such a stigma, and the more we talk about it, the more people might un- uh, get to understand that it's just normal to feel stressed. Know. You know, and there's nothing wrong with it. Exactly right. I mean, you don't you don't drive your car for fifty thousand k's and go. Nah, it doesn't need a service. She'll be right. You go and get it serviced so it keeps driving the way that you want it to continue to drive. And I don't think that mentally anybody, sh- a person should be any different. Hmm. And you don't have to go to a counsellor or a psychologist. You find something that fits for you. But I can't speak highly enough of psychology. I think it's such an amazing, an amazing thing that we have at our fingertips. Um, yeah, likewise. But everyone finds their thing. Yep. Uh, two more questions and then I, we'd better finish up and let you go and put your head on a, um, a pillow for <laughs> half an hour. Oh, you've done very well, Elisa. I have. I <laughs> really have, have. You've obviously had lots of water. Um, uh, when was the last time you spoke to your mum? That would have been 2003 <gasps> and I have not seen her face since November 98. I just cannot. Do you know if she's still with us? Like, it's is she? Weird, isn't it? Yeah, it no is. idea. I, I don't. I don't know if she's dead or alive. But, but I do have this habit that every so often I think I should probably check and see if I can find that out. I don't know moral obligation. I guess you know, blood thicker, water, whatever. And every so often I get this urge, and I ring Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. That's the last place that I know that she was imprisoned at. And um, the last time that I rang, I said to the receptionist, look, this is going to be a very odd request for you. And I explained my story and I'm like, is she remanded with you? And um, the last lady I spoke to, she was so beautiful. She was so funny. She goes, oh, darling, it's okay. No, she doesn't live here at the moment. (laughs) And I said, oh, good. Okay, she goes, that's not to say she's not somewhere else, but she doesn't live here right now. She's not one of our residents. I said, okay. And then she goes, oh, hang on, was this her a name that she went by as well? And my heart sunk. And I thought, she's there. And I live 40 minutes from there. And when I'm at work, I can throw a rock and hit the fence almost. Um, and I thought, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And I said, yeah, that is her. She goes, yeah, nah, don't stress. She's, she doesn't live here. And I thought, you bitch, mm. you just had my heart in my throat. Yeah. <laughs> and I laughed and yeah. I said, all right, well, thanks. Well, good to know. She goes, talk to you in a few years. See ya. <laughs> so she thinks it's normal, so that's all right. Oh, God. Um, Elisa, what would you say to young adults, maybe possibly teenagers out there who are trying to deal with um, similar situations that uh, you've experienced, similar emotions, feelings, all that, what would you say to them? Firstly, I would really encourage the professional intervention. There's no shame in it. Um, it's, It's not 
doesn't make you less of a person. It actually, it helps so much and it keeps you on the right path. You've got paths to choose from. You can go down the wrong path and make a complete mess of everything or you can, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and just just achieve the things that you want to achieve. Um, You have nothing to prove to, and I certainly don't, I have nothing to prove to anybody else. And that took a very, very long time of hard work because I, I really did for many, many years think I have to prove to everybody that I'm not my mum, but I don't. It's, you've only got yourself to answer to. You've only got yourself to prove things to. If you want to be a brain surgeon you're the only person that you have that you owe anything to. It's it's very important to remember that you're important and there's always help out there. Don't you can't do it alone. You just can't you can't just yeah go through life and think, no, she'll be right, she'll be right, because she won't always be right. Everybody's cup overflows. Mm. Well, Elisa, all I can say is thank you so much um, for sharing such a personal story, and I know it's a story that will resonate with too many out there, but it will also give them hope that life does get better. And uh, you are living proof of that. So thank you again, and uh, you go to bed early tonight. No more, no more dancing, no more drinking, oh. and no more late nights. Okay. I, I I can't. I just I can't back it up anymore. Too old for that. <laughs> um, and I've got to host a baby shower tomorrow, so I've actually got to be a grown up. <laughs> oh, God, I hope you're all this having whole- water. And maybe oh, some well. cordial tomorrow, but not red. Uh, not red no, cordial. There'll be tea. There'll be tea because mum likes tea. So <laughs> we'll like tea. And yes, yeah, so there'll be no alcohol. I won't I won't rub her nose in it. And I just can't <laughs> do it. Uh, well look, <laughs> you have a, you have a good day. Uh, thank you again for um, Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and um All strength to you, Elisa, for where you are now to what you've been through. So thanks again. Thank you so much. I do appreciate you taking the time to listen. I know you do. Thank you. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.